Don Rahul Jimenez. How amateur is that? Like, you don't even see that down in the park. If they, if they lose, it provides great content. I am supporting every team that plays break. I'm not making a documentary this year about how shit my club is. Mudman, thank you as always. Who would you rather lose it to, by the way, me or Johnny? That's somebody's choice. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Football Babble. Um, not a full house this evening. Uh, we're missing Darth Mud. He, he, like myself, got his vaccine yesterday and he's still feeling a bit poorly. So get better soon, Cousin Mud. Uh, we hope we get you on next week for some boldness. Uh, it's myself, Phil, Paddy. Hello, Paddy. Hello. Uh, the very bold Stephen. Hello, Stephen. How's it going? And the boss man, Brent. Hello, Brent. Good evening. <laughs> Good evening. So it's us four on tonight. We're going to obviously chat about uh, events at Old Trafford yesterday and talk about fan movement and fan protests and different things like that. We're going to talk about the brilliant Emma Hayes and her uh, historic, could potentially be, Chelsea team who have got themselves into the Champions League final and their own course uh, for a quadruple. And then we'll also chat a bit more news and also about Inter Milan winning the Scudetto and breaking Juventus's uh, grasp on it. Uh, after what I think nine years in a row they won the Scudetto, so yeah, we'll, we'll hopefully get cover all that on tonight's show. Um, we have to start at the main talking point of the weekend. Um, yet again, <laughs> the Premier League's main talking point is of things off the field. Um, it's I don't know. If this maybe isn't the right way to phrase it, but it feels like it's sort of saving this season, making it interesting <laughs> with what's been happening. Um, the protest about the European Super League, and obviously yesterday. Uh, the Manchester United fans taking back sort of control and trying to force maybe the Glazers' hands and get back control of that club. Steve, you are the resident Manchester United fan, so just to start us off with, give us your views on what you thought about yesterday's um, protest and what went on at Old Trafford. I liked it um, as a fan of it because ultimately it succeeded where other fan protests happened because it got a game called off and I think yeah look nobody likes to see anyone getting hurt but sometimes you just have to step up even when you know you can't win even when you know that the odds are of the Glazers ever selling and the odds of the Premier League ever and the UEFA ever bringing in financial fair play and actually sometimes you have to step up and you have to know you're going to lose and also because it's not always about the battle it's about the war Um, right now on the last Top, I'm, I'm talking to you when I have a, have a sticker of uh, Big Jim Larkin. Um, and I don't know if, if the listeners of this podcast would be too familiar with, with Jim Larkin, but he was a trade unionist in the 19, 1910s. And he basically started the Irish Transport and General Workers Union. And this this story has a point. I promise you it has a point. I'm not just rambling for the sake of rambling. It, it, it does. And on the 26th of August 2013, he convinced the tram drivers and conductors to go on strike, even though he knew it wouldn't work because he, he only had 25% of all the tram drivers in Dublin kind of supporting him. Um, 200 workers had already been sacked by the, the company who owned the, the tram, uh, company, uh, or by the, yeah, by the owners of the tram company. And the rest were 
basically put to the, the brink of starvation. So on the 31st of August, uh, 1913, Larkin stood on O'Connell Street and he basically told the workers of the ITGWU that they had to riot. It was the only way that they were going to get their voices heard. There was clashes between the Metropolitan Police, between the RIC. 600 people were injured. Um, and by the following week, William Martin Murphy, who was the owner of the tram company, had basically convinced 400 other companies across Dublin that any worker who had taken part in the strike and who was a member of Larkin's Union shouldn't be allowed into their business. Um, or yeah, shouldn't be allowed like get receive any pay. Uh, and by the end of September uh, 1913, 20,000 people were out of a job because of the lockout. It eventually ended in February 2014 because Murphy pushed so many people to the brink of starvation, and he claimed victory because so many people abandoned the union um, and went back to their job. But here's the thing. When this strike started, there was fewer than 20,000 members of the ITGWU, ITGWU, and by the end of it, there was in excess of 120,000 members. People realised that, yeah, you can lose battles, but you win wars by making your voice heard. And I think that's this was the opening salvo in the war against bad ownership of Premier League clubs. Um, and I think it's changed the psyche of football fans. I saw a few people, like, not not necessarily... Even Liverpool fans, fans of like random teams like Aston Villa and Everton, like yesterday, criticising United, saying, "Oh, United didn't. United fans didn't complain when they were winning Premier League titles back in the 1990s." But the ownership structure was so different. Like I can't even begin to describe the difference between Martin Edwards and his company, which was basically a butcher's, and the Glazers who use Manchester United as a cash machine. Like the ownership was completely different, um, and the fair, the the balance between teams was completely different, and and anyone who thinks that Manchester United fans have not been protesting the Glazer ownership since it started, haven't been paying attention. Like there isn't a Manchester United fan I know who, even when United were winning trophies, even when Ferguson somehow managed to win a Champions League, say in 2013, out of absolutely nowhere, because there's no right to win that win that league. Like, no Manchester United fan was happy with ownership. And this felt to me, as much as I didn't like to see the images of, of, of people bloodied and things like that, it just felt like a necessary step to, to make the right moves, to, to, to kind of show the people in power that these things matter. And I thought Sky's reaction was really interesting because Sky had been pushing for this. Sky have, have basically told fans that the game had been taken away from them. And so when fans take the game back, how they were going to react, I thought Graeme Souness' reaction was telling. It, it, it was the reaction of a man who, who, who played for a football team that hate a newspaper who sold his story to that newspaper. I mean, it tells you everything you need to know about Graeme Souness as a person. Um, but I thought the rest of the reaction on Sky was pretty good in, in the sense that look we can understand this frustration and look it, it, it worked the game was postponed and and nothing anyone else has ever done in terms of protesting ownership has ever gotten a game postponed in the Premier League before so you have to mark it down as a success in terms of the United fans they'll ultimately they will pay a price the fans that were there they'll lose their season tickets they'll lose their membership to the club and all of that but it might ultimately be a price worth paying what 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 do you think 
is the next step now. Um, and the other thing I want to ask is <clears throat> if the Premier League say, as there's talk about now, deduct points off United and I, I don't know, find them or whatever, <clears throat> is that, especially the points thing, is that then affecting the players um, and the manager and the staff at the club don't have anything to do with it and it's not their fault? Or is that is that in your eyes, you know, worth the worth the sort of risk like on the other side? I think it's worth it. I think like let the Premier League bring on a points deduction because the Premier League say well we don't believe in certain types of ownership, but if you protest against that ownership we're gonna deduct your points. It just shows the Premier League for the hypocrites that we all know that they are. Um I think the next step it's a shame that the Roma game isn't that Old Trafford because I think the next step is to try and get that postponed. Uh, and I don't know whether that's a protest at Manchester Airport to to, to stop the players leaving or whatever. Um, but that feels like the logical next step is to it would be to try and get a European game postponed. Like nobody's blaming the players and like even the fans who were stopping the players leaving their hotel I mean everyone was very clear that the players aren't at fault here it's the the players are the by stopping the players doing their job it's the only way to get a message to ownership and I think if the Premier League deduct Manchester United points I think fans of every other club would really need if if for all the the Leeds fans and the Everton fans and the Aston Villa fans who you know, got up on their high horse and talked about, you know, why the Super League was bad. If they weren't to come out and defend Manchester United fans for what they've done, it just shows them all to be the massive hypocrites that some of us, I think, well, certainly me, suspect that they might be. You know, um, because if if you think it's okay to deduct the team points for protesting really, really bad ownership that's bad for football, well, then you're not... I don't think you're a football fan in the first place. So I would like to see other fans then step up their protests. I think Arsenal and Chelsea are probably prime examples of teams who are probably ready to, to kind of do a similar protest. Uh, I think Liverpool fans aren't far behind at all. So I think I think this could be a movement. And until we bring in the 50 plus one ownership, until we bring in proper changes to ownership structures in the Premier League and in, 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 in UEFA, I would love to think that we're going to see more and more of these because, I mean, at the end of the day, like, you know, people pay 60 quid to go to a match. They pay 100 quid for a jersey. They're entitled to have a say. They're entitled to have an opinion. Uh, And you might not like the way they protest, but the best protest is effective protest. A protest that everyone thinks is great but doesn't work or doesn't catch anyone's attention is useless. You might as well be doing nothing. That's why Colin Kaepernick taking a knee was so good because it annoyed all the right people. And and likewise, I saw Dan Hodges and the, the British journalist, you know, saying that, oh, well, if you're criticising Manchester United fans, you have to criticise Black Lives Matter and you have to criticise the people who protested against the anti-protest bill in, in the UK. And you're going, yeah, you do. You have to support those people too. That's the whole fucking point, Dan. Like, um, the point of protest is that it's supposed to work. It's not that you agree with it. And, and look, I'm, I never throw a bottle at someone, but I can completely understand how 
people caught up in a moment who feel the 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 swell of kind of look we're fucking we're after managing to break into Old Trafford we're we're on the pitch kicking footballs like we were really only get this game stopped like it it it's hard for me to criticize a protest that has worked because ultimately we're sitting here today Liverpool didn't get to play Manchester United yesterday that's going to maybe affect Manchester United in the pocket and that has to be a good thing in terms of the protest the continual protest against bad ownership in the Premier League I think though sorry for maybe Phil or, or Paddy you want to come in but I think <clears throat> I agree with you most like 99% of what you just said um, but I still think it would have been effective if the, I don't know how many it was, 10 decades didn't rack the equipment or pull out the seats or throw bottles and throw flares. I still think it would have been effective. You get into Old Trafford twice. Um, I think that's enough. Yeah. And the swell of the crowd. I, I, I know, and I know it's, it's probably inevitable in all, um, protests are all gatherings that there's going to be decades even on a night out in Belfast or Dublin there's there's always decades every weekend but that's now what people are talking about and that is a shame I think that is the shame is that that's that's the that's the focus conversation um because it is the minority it's the and it's the vast vast minority of people as well um have but like you know we and it's not going. I'm not going to be like not all men because it one 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 dickhead is too many dickheads, and I can I I do I do agree with you on that. What I'm saying, I suppose, is that I can understand how someone with a few drinks in them, with the feeling of fucking hell, we're doing something really big here, gets carried away. I'm not excusing them. I'm not making any apologies for them at all, but I can understand how it happens. That's what I'm kind of saying, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, and I would say the likely the likelihood is that th- those decades are are probably the ones who care the least. Absolutely. Um, they're maybe yeah. just just along for the ride. Um, the, the, yeah. the real people who, exactly who organise it. Like, yeah, for as much as I want to say that everyone there hates the lasers and has hated the lasers from the start and, and all of that, like there were absolutely people in that crowd yesterday who were there spoiling for a fight because that's the way with every crowd that's mob mentality that's how it always happens and those people don't represent Manchester United but the people who do represent Manchester United and Manchester United fans are the ones who have for 10 years been fundamentally calling for a change at this and more for a change at this football club because it is essentially a an ATM for the owners of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and nothing else that's all it exists for um, and that can't be right. Like that, this is a club that started out, you know, has such amazing socialist youths, or, or roots, has such uh, an intrinsic part of the community. Um, and then for for it to become this, just it, it's hard to kind of it's hard to come to terms with. It. And so, but like that's not what those people who were throwing bottles or who were wrecking equipment were there for. That's not the point they were trying to make. They were uh, part of it is an Instagram thing, isn't it? Like you. You you want to be the you want to make sure your story fucking pops on Instagram or whatever and that, like those dickheads exist everywhere unfortunately and 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 from what I saw there were enough fans who were kind of telling those people to calm down and to cop on 
that it made me think that that wasn't the point of the whole protest. And and it's going to be a shame because it's such an easy thing to focus on that as the point of the protest or as the, as the, you know, what we should be talking about tonight when actually we should be focusing on, look, fans can act, can change things. They can get stuff done with the right form of protest. Can I ask, have any of you ever been at a protest? Yes. What about you, Brenton and Paddy? No, I think I, I don't think. I don't think I have. When so. I was at um, uni, was when we as Liverpool fans started to take uh, take action against Hicks and Gillette, and that sort of SOS was formed and things were going on. And Liverpool were playing Porto, and there was a a march organised to march from I think it's the Sandon or the Twelfth Man, one of the pubs, a march right down to the ground with um, basically because of the way they were treating Rafa Benitez and it turned out the whole buzz the whole day was there's going to be you know it's going to be a decent enough crowd at this it's going to be an okay crowd at this turned out there was thousands ended up being there walking down the whole road and there was a point in that march where you could feel this could go you know this could go either way here thankfully it didn't and that night and it sort of it, it sort of maintained itself, but there was there was talk at the time as well around Liverpool and to do with this like we're going to have to get violent here to get rid of these two, and then when it led up and it, and it sped up the the court case came on and sped up and sped up to get rid of them and, and they were digging their heels in. You could feel it gather more momentum, more momentum. There was even at times in the ground, people were arguing whether to back the back the team or have a go at the owners, and there was people punching each other in the ground and on the cop. Arguing against all this, the the, the fan the, the fan base is completely broken, and I, I'm trying to make a point is like this that Liverpool fan base almost got to the point that United's got to yesterday. Only we managed to get our club back um, through the courts, thankfully, because the, uh, people don't I don't think people ca- catch or realise how close Liverpool were to going extinct. Basically, like I'm having to start again as a new entity, and that would have been wild. But I there was 16 years of pure Vent and anger came out yesterday. The blocking of the team bus at the Lowry, I thought was a really good idea. Thankfully, obviously, no one was hurt or whatever. But I thought it, was, it started the whole process. I, I get um, your point, Steve. Where like to make a protest, make a protest correct. Sometimes you just have to go full turbo, basically. And I understand that. But why I was annoyed um, was because as soon as some dickheads, and it might have only been 10, 15, started smashing things and throwing bottles. I was getting annoyed. Obviously, I didn't want people to get hurt, naturally. I think I, not, and no one wanted anyone to get hurt. But as soon as you, you just knew certain media outlets were going to use this as their ammo and deflect away from what Manchester United fans were trying to do, which was highlight on a massive stage, because even if the game right now between the United and the it has been shite for years, it's not the spectacle that... They wanted to be the Premier League, they wanted to be like the Glasgow was. It's still maybe the second biggest game in world football. And it was stopped. It was stopped yesterday. Like it wasn't, they couldn't play it because Manchester United fans decided, nah, we're not going to let this happen. And and it was it was quite a, a massive moment. It's one of the biggest moments probably in English football history. Like it, it'll be one that'll be talked about for years and years with this what's happened. And, and as 
for, as a, as one of your friends and know how much it annoys and hurts you that the Glazers are your owners. I hope this is the start. We've saw it today. I think they said they're not going to sell the club. They're going to turn into a ten billion franchise. Some stupid. Quite ironic that yesterday, while Old Trafford in Manchester was being stormed, Old Trafford in I think it was Beijing was being opened. Yeah, as like a fan park, and um, just another wild um, thing going on in this. But I I totally get that, and I think fan protest, fan movement, is a brilliant thing. I'm fully behind it. It's a grey matter when you talk about protest and what's the right protest. Is the right protest the one that gets you the outcome you aimed for? Do you know what I mean? As long as people will say, well, it could be violent, it could be... They could have went and just sat. Remember, like, was it Offaly did it? They just sat mm. on the ground in the All-Ireland and then the game had to get postponed. They could have, they could have done that, but they didn't, whatever. It's done now. We're talking about it. We hope movement is made. We hope things are changed, not just across the board at Manchester United, but across everywhere, and these clubs are sort of controls given back. But I just want Ali as well to come in here too. What did you make of some of the... Pundits, I thought <laughs> Michael Richards is brilliant. I really, I really enjoy him. He seems like such a lovely fella, such a cuddly fella. He just seems like a good crack. But I think this, he was him coming on talk yesterday in Sky Sports and him being an ambassador of Man City is fair enough. But not once, not once, and this isn't to turn it on Man City, but they acted as if Man City were this the so-called good guys of football now. Do you know what I mean? And I find it really weird. I was like, here's a moment where we can chat about not just what's happening here at at Old Trafford, but we can really get into this now about our own other owners. And I just felt it very weak at times. And even Jimmy and Gina's coming out and saying, what are they protesting about? Like, yeah. open your eyes, man. Do you know what I mean? I find it really strange, some of the pundits' behaviours. Yeah, I, I, can't, I can't say I've, I've listened to all the punditry. I, I watched it at a Gary Neville really talking yesterday. Um and just when they were sort of filling for too long, I switched it off. But um, like Neville was clearly incensed, and uh, you know, letting his feelings feelings be known. But you know, I from a personal point of view, I, I totally agree with the, the sentiments that that you know things have gone too far with ownerships, and and clubs are getting sort of taken away from their traditional roots and and what they stand for. But you know, albeit a minority, but definitely people went too far yesterday. I, I, I don't know if it was a, an opportunistic thing or if they'd always intended to have the, the game abandoned or to break into the stadium. I don't do you know Steve, was was that always the sort of goal or was that it just was always to get the, Yeah, as far as I know the goal was to get the game abandoned, but that was through blocking the team at the hotel. Um getting into the stadium seemed to be like an an, an added bonus, I think, to the whole thing. Okay, and whenever I suppose maybe for our listeners and and for myself, if you were to explain what what the Glazers have have done, like what are their sort of major faux pas that have that they've done over the last fifteen years? Because fr- from a say from an outsider who doesn't know all the the, the inner workings and, and see that United still splash loads of money in the transfer market, they still pay high, high wages, they still you know I know Solskjaer was maybe a bit more unheralded. Unheralded, but they've still gone and forked out for big managers. Like on the playing side, there does seem to be investment. What, what is what is the what are the major bones of contention amongst the fans? Uh, the main thing, like, so people will fans of of team 
of teams there that aren't Manchester United will always say, well, the Glazers have spent nearly a billion euro or dollar or pounds or euro or on on players. It's it's a lot of money regardless of whatever currency you uh you put into it. I think the biggest issue is that they they have put Manchester United into debt to the tune of of about seven hundred million, and each year um the interest payment on that is like an insane amount of money. I think it's two hundred and fifty million up to four hundred and twenty five million a year. So, but the thing is, they also take out like close to hundred million pounds in cash every year as well. Um, if these figures aren't exact. Uh, like, I'm sorry, I'm not an accountant. I work with words, not with numbers. So uh, that's the the thing I was like. But they're they're close. Uh, they're huge figures. They're astronomical figures. Um, and the issue is that, like, you know, Manchester United, one of the biggest football clubs in the world, exists because they're owned by a number of banks. Really, the Glazers do own them, but you know, through loans through various banks and. I think the cumulative interest rate on those payments is like 16%, which is way above what you or I would pay for a car loan or even on a mortgage or whatever like that. So um, it just feels that they've put the club in a position whereby if the Glazers ever decide to leave, the club could actually just just fold up um, the way it is. So I think that's part of the issue. Um, I think the other part of the issue is that they have they have consistently put people in positions to take decisions about player purchasing and things like that who maybe aren't football people. Um, Ed Woodward, obviously, you know, if you wanted to get a tyre deal done in Malaysia, Ed Woodward was your man. But if you wanted to get a great young English player to move back from the Bundesliga to the Premier League, for example, he wasn't the person that you wanted. Um, And it looks like that might be continuing because the talk is that the person that they're going to replace Woodward with has absolutely no clue about football either and his sole job will be to make sure that shoe manufacturers in India and, you know, oil producers in Nigeria will all do really well from their association with Manchester United, but that on the player personnel side. So I think it's twofold. I think it's that the amount of money that's been drained out of the club every single year and the lack of this year like it's the first time they've they've kind of put um a director of football and a director of player personnel in place and it's ironic that would it it, it would happen this year considering, you know, all the protests and things like that. So I I think that's the biggest issue is that the when an owner is putting their own money behind the team, you can kind of forgive a lot. But when you know that it's it's the bank's money and not actually their own their money, it's a lot harder to kind of kind of you know soak it up and, and take it. I think those are the two biggest issues. They okay. they, they bought the team on debt, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Um, I think they as soon as they bought them, they lumped the five hundred and seventy-five million. The club has never been worth more than they have debt on the club. If that makes sense. So, like, and like, don't get me wrong. Like, if Manchester United were to sell right now, it probably would clear the debt. But the only people who can buy them are also terrible owners, and this is the circle that we're in now with football because the only other people like, oh. 
don't come into my mentions for this. But the only other people who who can buy them are the likes of Jeff Bezos and Amazon and Elon Musk, you know, and and they're not people that you want on your football club either. So it's a it's tremendous mentions. <laughs> it's a really re- look look we could all be geniuses like Elon Musk if our parents owned diamond mines in apartheid South Africa. So like it's a really easy oh, holy to life in. But it's, <laughs> look it's it's starting life fucking rolling double sixes all the time. So um look I'm not saying the glazers are good, the glazers are fundamentally not good. We know with their team in in the NFL and Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they've won two titles in their in their entire existence, and they're notorious for being one of the cheapest teams in the NFL as well. So these aren't these aren't football fans. These aren't people who 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 believe in the Manchester United way of playing football um, or anything like this. These are people who see Manchester United as a way to. They see it no different than any other shelf company or holding company as a way. Of, of spinning money or spinning debt into in, into income for themselves and that's really hard like it's so hard like I, I don't want I don't care about owners I don't want to care about owners I want to just get on with, with hating the manager or with giving out about a player who's shy that they consistently start like that's what I want to complain about as a football fan I don't want to be thinking about oh well you know if we if they if we do succeed with this protest and they sell up it might it might be even worse the person who buys the team. Like that's just such a weird position to be in as a football fan. And you can say that, oh well you don't have to care. But you do have to care because like you it's an it's it's in a it's a complete package. You can't you can't like this Love United hate the Glazers thing, they it's all the same thing. Like you have to you, you have to take the two together, and that to me is the hardest bit. Is that Manchester United? If you say it to you know, and fifty people in the street, thirty to forty will be able to tell you who the owners of Manchester United are. But if you were to do the same with Burnley or Brighton or Aston Villa, those no those numbers would be a lot lower. And I wish United were in the same position. When do you think? Um Gary Neville and his mates will announce their consortium to buy Man United. They don't have enough money, and they'll never have enough money. Because he keeps, hi, because he keeps angling himself. Um, I think he's angling himself for the fifty plus one thing, and to to be involved in in that movement. I think that's kind of where he's he's going with it. I think. I'll, I'll Neville Neville should get a wee a wee red cap, but he's like Trump, just riling them up for Capitol Hill. I think. Yeah, you see the thing. Gary Neville is 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 obviously very intelligent, um, and and he can be a good spokesman. But if he doesn't stop trying to speak to Liverpool fans, I'm gonna fucking lose my temper. And uh, we don't need Gary Neville to tell us what to be at with FSG. He didn't need to keep bringing that. That would really weird yesterday. Keep bringing also, FSG he, up. Like, just, like, well, like, for, like the the FSG stuff is a nonsense because yeah, I can. I'm for, as a Liverpool fan, I'd be really annoyed with Gary Neville being the person saying these things. But the like Gary Neville is using a billionaire to win to buy himself a league at the moment yeah. with the team yeah. he owns. So like he's not in a position to be preaching about this. No. I really don't understand why he's not being called out on that more. It's um it, I, I think yeah, that, that that was that was railing me up 
that's why I had to turn Sky off yesterday because he kept bringing it up and I was like I'm, I'm not going to listen to Guy Neville preach to me about what to do with the FSG if anyone's listened to our podcast before recently they know my feelings in FSG it's going to take a wee while for me to trust them again um, I've listened to plenty of Liverpool fans try and tell me why they're not bad owners they haven't been maybe bad owners maybe people are saying they've made a few mis- pretty horrendous mistakes but a good thing is that SOS, Bereshankby, are getting a sit down with Billy Hogan tomorrow, tomorrow afternoon, I think it's at 3 o'clock, um, to discuss what's going on and to have more involvement with the fans. And I think that's a good step. Now, whether, whether anything comes out of it or not, uh, we'll see. SOS won't sugarcoat it. If they think it's a load of bullshit, they'll come out and say it. And you'll get an email if, if like me, you're part of SOS. You'll get an email tomorrow evening explaining what's going on and what's happened. So, just for my own club, I hope this is a start to something a bit more positive. Um, we've seen some really good things, I think, from fans of the Big Six. Um, recently, we've seen, obviously, Tottenham protests, saw a massive one from Arsenal, which is cool. That night, the Chelsea fans stopped the bus getting in, and then it was announced that Chelsea were pulling out of it. That was pretty cool as well. Yeah, yesterday, and then the Liverpool fans getting to chat to the owners, so... It's been great that way. I think fan movement is very important and, and it's great to see the fans being the focus again. So I think all of us are hoping that this is the start. And to, to, to this afternoon, it was announced that the FA have started an inquiry into the six clubs. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes. But what they have announced is that um, the Premier League is to bring in a new owner's charter. So this is to sort of stop future attempts to join a breakaway Super League. Unless, of course, the Premier League decided to start its own Super League again. Maybe have fourteen teams in it or something. Um but yes, it's it's that's gonna maybe hopefully stop owners from breaking away. But we'll see we'll see where this leads to. But it, it certainly has been an interesting couple of weeks for, for fans and for clubs and as I said, I think I said at the start of this podcast now, I think it's made the season for me anyway, pretty interesting. Uh, it's an interesting ending of what's gonna happen because obviously on the pitch, certainly for my own club, it's been Diabolical. Um, Can I just Phil, yeah. quickly um, mm-hmm. say that I, I think obviously there's the six clubs and the European Super League and, and all that happened with that and how quickly that was shut down, certainly in England. Um, but I think there's more. There's, there's certainly more to it um, for United fans, especially, and Arsenal fans. I think they're probably the two um, because... The, as Steve said, like it goes back years. Um, yes, you know you can argue. I'm sure you have your points about FSG, and some people have their their good points. And obviously, they've brought the league and the Champions League and and all the rest of it, and they've tried to do it right in terms of the books and stuff. Um, and Man City and Chelsea. Yes, the European Super League was was a step too far, and it, it's a separate issue, but. Those their owners have actually not tried to use the club as a, as a cash machine, as as Steve was saying. They've actually done the opposite. You know, they've they don't want to make money out of these clubs. That you know, it's a project for them. It's something to do, somewhere to put their money. Um, but I think that uh, as Steve was saying earlier, Arsenal are, are probably. Well, I saw the the anger at the Crockies. Um, I'd say the Emirates that night. It and, and the United protests, I think, are are on another level. Um, I, I don't think 
those two in particular are going to go away very, very quickly. No, I agree. I can see maybe Arsenal fans looking at what happened uh, at the weekend, thinking, "Well, maybe it's our turn." So, yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, I think there's less, there's less on the line for Arsenal fans as well because, like, obviously they're, you know, they've they've still got hopes through the Europa League or whatever, but they're not qualifying through Europe, through the Premier League. So, like, why not go for it? You know, yeah, um, definitely. If United taking the ten point hit. You know, has obviously an effect. Say, for example, if that's what the Premier League decides to impose and things like that. But I really think the Premier League are going to have to be very careful with their the decision that they take in terms of punishment because you run the risk. Well, certainly, I feel you run the risk of just provoking more fans to to kind of do similar to say, "Hang on a second, you told us that." You didn't like the idea of a breakaway Super League. These fans were protesting against the breakaway Super League and you punished the team for it. So, um, but I do, I, I just think it's, I think it's absolutely fascinating that like in all of this, Roman Abramovich, who was an incredibly divisive figure in English football, is looking the best of all the owners. <laughs> of the big six teams. It, it's, it's such a remarkable turnaround because um, and in a way, I just can't see Chelsea fans kind of maybe reacting the same way because you know you can have your issues with Abramovich and Gazprom and and, and how he kind of accumulated his wealth, but like he's kind of stayed out of the way a lot more than other owners, um, other than sacking managers maybe a little bit too early. But you know, as we saw this year, sometimes sacking a manager when everyone is telling you it's too soon works out well. Chelsea fans love Roman Abramovich, and and that really hurt them that that Super League thing, um, because yes, everyone else in English football was was saying how he started the the destruction of the game, but you know Chelsea fans never said that, and and the the success he's brought Chelsea and the the good you have to say that he's pumped into the club and into the community. Um, has been next to none. So and, and right up until last year with the whole COVID thing, all he did to help out in the pandemic, you know, all good press. Um, up until that, and that has that's cut deep. Um, but, but again, I I think you're right. I, I think because the anger towards the Glazers and the Crockies, he he's come out. He's probably glad of it, to be fair. Oh, oh yeah. 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 Um, on Chelsea, Brenton, the Chelsea women's mm-hmm. team have a chance of a pretty historic season. Yeah, sorry, I, I should have mentioned that, actually, as well, the, the money that's been pumped in there. Uh, but, yeah, um, focusing on, on the um, team and and uh, the journey they've made this season. <clears throat> has been unbelievable. Um, I must admit that up until this season, I would maybe watch the odd game. I would, um, you know, catch highlights. I would, you know, you'd hear some pieces on podcasts, but I followed them this year. Um, and it's the football they play is, is certainly better than the 
Griffin's team. Um, Anaheim is, mm-hmm. is a genius. Um, and as you said to me last night, you'd go to war with her because she, the the absolute emotion and outcry um, at the final whistle and in her interview um, was so good. It was unbelievable. Give you shivers. Um, but the judge shows a journey, you know, she's made with that team and to build it up and to try so hard to get to that stage in the Champions League year after year. Um, you know, injecting a few of those signings this season to, you know, to go that next step and it actually working. Um, you know, it's just, just one more. Um, and they've already made history, you know, um, but that would be, what a feather in the cab that would be for Emma Hayes and you know bigger jobs could be could be on the horizon for her. And she started in two thousand twelve with Chelsea and she she was like linked with other jobs. She said no. I think she was linked with like even a men's job at some point. Said no, why would I leave? And now she's got this chance um to have a not just win the, the European Cup, the Champions League for women's team, which would be obviously Chelsea's first and be unreal, but a four trophies, a quadruple. Like if she wins, she's the winner of two league games on Wednesday night, well, one on Wednesday night against Tottenham, and I can't remember who the next one's against. I mean, she's won the league. And like she was talking, Emma Hayes, I think at the minute, in football, in terms of football manager, is the most intriguing manager in world football. I think her press conferences and her interviews are just constantly brilliant because she just comes down so down to earth, just so stupidly, just feels normal coming through the TV at you. And I think it's brilliant. Like she yeah. said, shit and bollocks. I think yesterday on on the broadcast after winning, um, and then like she was she had a glass of champagne, and she was asked about the match on Tottenham. She says they'll be in they'll be in tomorrow morning, which meant this morning Monday. Don't care, tough. We have a game to win on. Uh, on a on Wednesday night, and we need to go for it again. It's, it's just brilliant, and it's I, like I'm obviously not a Chelsea fan, and, and and I really wish, I really hope Liverpool start to actually look after their their women's team and and girls football and, and bring it through because I'm jealous of what's going on with this Chelsea side. But I I really hope they beat Barcelona in this Champions League final. It just Emma Hayes is just superb. I can't recommend enough. If you haven't seen any of her interviews or watched watched her team to check them out because they're just they're ridiculous. Um, yeah. Some of the Pernell. Um, uh, I think. Yeah. Horror. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, and I think she's she. Um, I think it was maybe um, on the BT interview. Um, she said, uh, "I'm not going to give you a little crap." Um, I worked my whole life for it today. I'm talking proud. <laughs> was yeah. Um, but and that's what you're talking about. Like it's so raw, it's so um pure, it's so relatable. Um, because you know that's what you want them to say anyway. You know, you don't want, as she said, you don't want a load of crap. You don't want sort of um a load of catchphrases. Um, it, it was just you could see the emotion pouring out of the whole um staff. And all the players, um, and what a performance, by the way, um, uh, and the fact that you know Frank Kirby being out injured for so long, um, scoring two in that game, um, getting the last one to sort of secure it, and as you said, Pernell Harder signed, you know, um, for 
you know, basically for this competition because Chelsea can win everything else. Um, but this was the um, this is the one you know that you wanted. Um, it's nearly like you know the obsession sort of Abramovich had before Chelsea uh, won the the men's Champions League in 2012. Yeah, you could tell that's the one he wanted, and that's the same for the women. So, so hopefully they can go that one step further. And yeah, as we said earlier, <coughs> whoever wins it now, um, it'll be a, it'll be a first time winner. But hopefully the women. Um, it'll be history makers and they can get all four this season we'll definitely touch back on it um, to see how they get on I think it's the 16th of May isn't it the final I think it's the 16th of May is the final so uh, if you can tune in and watch it because they're two very good sides that Barcelona side are ridiculous as well tune in as well because yeah 8 o'clock on a Sunday night so um, what else are you going to be at Um, before we finish up and start talking about Inter Milan Paddy Mm-hmm. Um, you got to go on the paints this weekend. Tell us how it was. <laughs> yeah, it was absolutely fabulous. We were in a wee country pub out near Lisburn for a fellas stag do of sorts, and um, tore the arse out of it completely, and had a load of paints <laughs> and told stories and slagged each other off for many hours, and uh, that was a, a welcome, welcome relief. Um, and it was, oh, it was just the same things we're getting back, you know. The likes of uh, you and Johnny getting vaccines as well this week, and, and, and I'm sure Brendan soon as well. Maybe Steve soon, hopefully. Too, too young. Hopefully. <laughs> You're a wee baby. Uh, yeah, hopefully just likes getting <laughs> back, and uh, it's encouraging. Great, great to see. And um, although it's given, uh, although you obviously had a hard time with your side effects, your vaccine, but. Um, no, I don't want you to talk with them, mate, because you completely shot me down earlier and made me feel bad about myself, so go fuck yourself. <laughs> Oh I know. I just I just uh I, I was I was casting doubt on, on the seizure. But uh I didn't say it was a seizure, <laughs> I said it was like a seizure. I couldn't move. It was fucking But I don't want anyone to be put off. Phil, Phil developed epilepsy. <laughs> if I have an epilepsy fit me, you'll feel shit about it. Um I've got medication for it, you're fine. I don't want uh I don't want anyone to be put off by it at all. Go and get your vaccine. Don't be so stupid. Go and get it. Um, it was grand. I feel grand now. I've actually feel um, it's weird feeling. I know you've had two, Paddy, but just because like going into the, going into the vaccine centre was quite emotional. I said at the start we were before we recorded that people were emotional. It was actually me who was emotional. So I haven't, I haven't hmm. like properly, I haven't properly. Not that he likes to anyway. I know he listens by the way, but I haven't properly hugged my dad since before December. You know what I mean? And now I can. Well, he's getting the second vaccine this week. And I get mine at 11th July. Vaccines on bonfires up the presence. Um, <laughs> it just felt like, it just felt like a moment. And when I was in, in your wee cubicle at the SSC, it's like, it is like a war zone. It's weird. A friendly war zone though. Um, and you're just talking to the doctor, you're like, this is such a strange situation we're in, such a strange thing. But it, they're so lovely. And then the vaccine takes you. Bang, it's in your arm. You go sit down for 15 minutes and you're back out again. Yeah, you do develop side effects, but other people who've got the same AstraZeneca vaccine as me didn't get any side effects. So it's just luck of the draw, I suppose. But uh, anyone that's listening to this is on the fence thinking, I don't think I'll get it. I don't think I'll go and get it. 
because the sooner the majority of us all get these vaccines, the sooner you're able to go and do things, the sooner people are able to go and hug their parents or see their parents or go for pints like Paddy did. And, um, yeah, it's just... Go watch football. Uh, and why? Go watch football. Like, yes, go watch football. Go watch football in the pub and have pints and give each other dogs abuse and um, hopefully watch my night lose the Europa League final and we can all have a laugh at Steve with pints in us and all. Like, so, you know, that yeah, type of thing. as well. How, how good a pod would that be with Jerry? If Arsenal and United are in the Open League final, we need to do a live pod, I think. Do you, do you remember, <laughs> Steve, and the, and the listeners remember this, that you slated Arsenal in one of your first pods with Johnny? He won't My very that. first podcast, when my Arsenal beat Man United, I said, <laughs> I'd be much more worried about Arsenal than I would be about Manchester United. And look, even stop clocks are out twice. So. <laughs> But uh, yes, I, I, um, see, um, I watched the paint the weekend. That was a great moment for myself as well. Up the paint, um, up the paint. So, mm-hmm. do you remember? Do you remember? Um, I watched the the or the Europa League final with Jetty, the Chelsea Arsenal one, yes. <laughs> and he left. <laughs> he left early. <laughs> 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 oh, that was such a good day. Um, <laughs> To finish off this week, Inter Milan have regained the Scudetto. It only took them nine years, but they've won it back and wrestled it out of Juventus' hands. I just wanted to get your thoughts, and probably maybe you can come in here as well. Like, all Antonio Conte, like that's he, like he took over Juventus after um, Calcio Chopoli when they were once again cheating, but whatever, um, and he won them the title then. He came to uh, Chelsea won the title in England and then he's went back to Italy and won the title with Inter and yeah Inter Milan was one of the super teams and super league teams and supposed to have money he wasn't allowed to spend that much money this year he wasn't allowed to spend any in January and then out of the last available 45 44 points his team got 41 it's not unreal feat like yeah, he's, he's done an incredible, incredible job, and I suppose Brandon will know a lot more about Conte than than I do. But he seems like he, um, you know, he has a, he has a very set way to play, and he gets everyone very well drilled, and is obviously very successful. Now I know it's sort of things fizzled out at, at both Juventus and Chelsea. It seems to be a fairly intense environment. I don't know if it's one of those sort of ones that's hard to hard to sort of replicate season in season out, or maybe he'll prove us wrong now, but. Uh, he, he seems pretty full on, but done a great job. Got all the players on side, all the Premier League rejects, um, and you know a few a few transfers and stuff in there as well. Like because Hakimi was big money, like and um, obviously Lukaku was big money as well. So, but they've knitted together very well, and you know they've obviously got Juventus at a time whenever they're in a transitional sort of phase as well, and SC Milan haven't. Although they're improving, they haven't quite hit the heights. So I think timing worked well, and obviously, uh, obviously they've had a good season as well. What do you think of Antonio's this for you, Brenton, um, reemergence as Inter Milan manager and then winning the league with Inter Milan? Not surprised. Um, I think Paddy's very right, right there in what he says, though. Um, like I don't think they'll win it next year. Um, it, it, it's a uh, you need the players to buy in, and um, that's what Conte gets you to do. And I think it's a very short um, 
when I say short, I mean like a season, you know, of intense and um, it's like a like a focus group, you know, <laughs> um, he gets everybody on board and it's emotional and like you buy in, like the, the players obviously buy in, but like we bought into Conte, like after his first game, I remember now against West Ham, Chelsea equalized in, in like the last minute and he absolutely sprinted down the side and jumped into the, the Chelsea fans. Um, from then on, like absolutely in love with him. Um, but you know, he's, <clears throat> he's Italian obviously and, um, he likes us, uh, an argument and a scrap or two as well. So, um, that intense vibe that, that he comes with, uh, Obviously has a, a I don't want to say a negative side, but um you know there's a potential there for, for blow ups and um eventually, you know, it'll probably happen again. Uh, I think there's been a few skirts at times this season, but um yeah, it's a great achievement. He the man knows how to how to get a team playing in a system and um build them into to have a winning mentality. what do you say there forty one Points out of the last forty five is, is insane going. Would you take him if Oli let I don't think that's gonna happen nice to you, but just for toxic, would he be a manager you'd have at Manchester United? Yeah, I think he's a good manager. Um I like he's one of those he's one of those that like I suppose you're never gonna do badly with him as your coach and it's what his kind of ceiling is I think is probably always the issue I think he was helped by the fact I think we all know Atlanta are a little bit like they're fine but they're they're not really title contenders and Juventus under Pirlo was definitely an experiment especially with the way that Ronaldo didn't perform this season Um, so I think he's He's a manager who, with the right set of circumstances, will always kind of push you close to to a league title. But I, I feel like he kind of falls into the the like yeah, he's fine. It's, it's, I don't know. It's just is it is it that much of an upgrade over Southgate? It probably is. But I'm so ingrained into eking out results against City and Liverpool and and getting to semi finals that. Solskjaer just keeps me kind of hanging on to going, uh, is he that much better? Um, but yeah, I think he's, I think he's a good coach. I think he'll stick around Inter for a while. I think he's happier in Italy than he probably is anywhere else. Um, I, do you know where I think he'd do really well? I think he'd be a very, very good Barcelona coach. Um, and I think he'd almost guaranteed Barcelona, um, La Liga, especially if he still had Messi. Um, but yeah, as for Manchester United coach, I think he's, I mean, nobody's saving Harry Maguire, so I think that's probably where <laughs> he falls in. No, can we, can we go back? Can we just go, like, I know, like, we, I know we've been talking about, like, you know, all the stuff off the field, right? But that goal, like this, the, which one was it? The second goal, no, the second goal was the, no, the first goal was a penalty, the second goal against Roma. 
Where Maguire again? Because his big fat head won't turn around and <laughs> He got caught again. Like, all he had to do was look over his back shoulder and he would have cheered the ball. Like, and again, he gets caught. Like, and I'm so tired of it being the same goal. You want sex, too? I don't care. His big fat fucking head got stuck. <laughs> it's like that ship in the fucking Nile or in the Panama Canal. That's Harry Maguire's head. <laughs> They should have used oh. his head to batter down old Trafford yesterday. <laughs> oh God! I No, well that too. Um, he, that wasn't me, by the way. And Tyson, oh, get Ollie out. I was just saying because obviously, I, like I don't think Klopp's going anywhere. Really, I don't think, and I don't think Tuchel's going to go anywhere soon. So I was just thinking, ah, well, we have him. Could Conte? If Johnny was on, I'd ask him to Conte at Arsenal. But he probably is a good Arsenal manager. Yeah. I think I he'd think end up killing Arsenal players, though. Yeah. yeah, he was. Yeah. I think he'd, you know, they'd have to play a five-a-side because he'd kill about 15. <laughs> they There's a dearth of managers at the minute, isn't there, really, yeah. like, in terms of, you know, look at Spurs trying to get a boss at the minute. Like, I'm sure Conte or someone like that would be good for them, but there is just no one out there at the minute. Like, Does anybody know would where Allegri is? <laughs> <laughs> Probably getting ready to take Pirlo's job. Uh, true. Yeah. yeah, that's very true actually. I did, say, I did see someone say that, like, considering the circumstances that Spurs find themselves in, uh, and the kind of absence of managers around, that uh, Jose Mourinho is the perfect manager for Spurs right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we, we will touch on, on the Mourinho uh, sacking and another podcast is we want to get into it and whether or not that's potentially the end of him as a club manager at a, at a high enough level anyway. Hopefully. Um, but I think that'll probably do us for this week's pod. Um, we might, depending on how the Chelsea get on during the week, we might have another bonus pod coming back up for us. But, and hopefully Johnny will feel a lot better and can be back on next week. Um, but as always, thanks to everyone that, that keeps listening. Um I find it mad people listen and have no interest in football, but I think it's pretty cool. So obviously we're doing something right. Um, and thanks for everyone that supports the Patreon and sees us on Twitter when, when we're on it. Um, and on Instagram and on our socials. Uh, so yeah, lads, thanks as ever, as ever for coming on. Thank you. No problem. And Brenton, what is the Patreon link? Yeah, I was going to say to you, um, oh. you, you, you really messed the Patreon link up last week and Johnny was like right behind you like yeah yeah Phil that's it you got it right and I was I, I was listening being like nah god just it's so wrong I don't know what it is it's, it's like Patreon the Patreon link and then like reading just aren't my things I just can't do either of them I just can't I can't do well, it like I just can't do I'm, either of them I'm here for you this week patreon.com forward slash football babble thank you very much folks chat is again later on the week and good luck